Amen. So if you would open with me this morning in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to read to start off with verses 66 through 69, but we'll be, uh, if you like to follow along, uh, we'll be covering a good chunk of John chapter 6, but that's the primary focus, so keep your thumb there uh, when we're done reading that text. Amen. John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. In the year 1519, Spanish conqueror Hernán Cortés arrived in the New World, which is now known as Mexico, with 600 men. And the legend has it upon his arrival that he commanded his men to burn the ships that they had just arrived on. This was a clear message to his men that there is no turning back and we are committed to this mission. Two years later, he succeeded in his conquest of the Aztec Empire. You see, there is a time in every Christian's walk when they have to decide that they are either going to abandon Jesus and return to the world, or they are going to burn the ships and abandon all backup plans, no turning back, and fully committed to Christ in pursuit of eternal life with Him. And in our text, Jesus is dealing with a crowd of people in this very same issue. And we pick up in verse 66 through 69 in John chapter 6, which says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. We'll get into what this was in a moment. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you, too, uh, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This morning I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled, To Whom Shall We Go? Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, God. Let us um, hear from your Spirit today, God, that you would go out amongst the people, God, that you would uh, speak to us clearly, God, not by my words, God, by my intellect, God, but by your Spirit alone. We trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know all you guys, you're really excited to go home and finish the last final touches for conference. So I'm going to try to keep this under two hours, okay? We'll see. I said I'll try. No promises. Amen. So let's get into this. Uh, First, I want to talk about the issue of seeking only signs and wonders from God. And emphasis on the only, because we serve a supernatural God. We serve a God who does do signs and wonders. He works miracles, some that will blow our mind. In fact, we just saw a woman at at Revival last night healed. Uh, I mean, I don't know if everybody who was there saw it, but um, afterwards she came like walking up like this, and and Pastor Roger's like, hey, Adrian Farley, we want to pray for her. And she's like, you know, can hardly move. And and afterwards she's like... And she was like almost skipping out the door. We serve a supernatural God. We live in a world today that doesn't contend for the supernatural from God. But nonetheless, he is still a supernatural God and he will move in amazing ways. That was pretty awesome to see that last night. We serve a God of signs and wonders. But there's an issue of being a people that only seeks signs and wonders from God. So let's take a look at the beginning of John chapter 6. A little bit of reading to start it off, verses 1 through 14, uh, which says, After this, uh, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, 
in which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. See, they're following him because they saw the signs. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. You can highlight that in your Bibles and say, God's going to test you. He knows what he's going to do already, but he's going to ask you some questions. That's a different sermon, though. Philip answered him, saying, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? You see, many of us wouldn't even get as far as saying, God, I got this at least. Again, that's another sermon. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This indeed is a prophet who has come into the world. Now this is one of Jesus' most well-known miracles. Even people that had never been to church know about Jesus feeding the five thousand. It's no no doubt an amazing miracle. I mean, five loaves of bread and two fish probably wouldn't feed everybody we have here this morning, let alone 5,000 people and their families. They count men, 5,000 men and their families. You see, this is an amazing miracle, but it's worth noticing that this is a miracle in the physical. And what I mean by that is God miraculously provided physical means the people there's nothing spiritual about it they didn't uh, you know immediately somehow get an insight to the word of god and gain understanding but it was a physical blessing a monetary blessing which is a good thing god loves to bless us in the physical god loves to give us things and to show us his power and glorify himself through that and then verse 14 we see that they say this indeed This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. You see, these people look at Jesus and they realize this man is in fact sent from God. But they don't yet realize who he really is. They say he's a prophet. How many know Jesus was more than a prophet? And so we see this uh, take place, and then uh, as the story continues, Jesus withdraws from the crowd to a nearby mountain. He needed a little bit of 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 quiet time from a crowd of 5000 I don't blame him there I probably would too He withdraws to a nearby mountain and the next day him and his disciples they sail across uh, to Capernaum without the multitudes noticing but the multitudes noticed that he was gone and so they start to search for him they begin to say hey where'd that Jesus guy go We need to find him. And so eventually they find him. They catch up to him in Capernaum. And then we pick up at verses 25 and 27, 
which says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So in other words, why didn't you tell us your itinerary? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus did not waste any time, and he did not mince any words dealing with the heart of these people. He says, y'all ain't after me, you're after the food I gave you. Your tummy started rumbling. You said, hey, where's that miracle worker again? Not only did he take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed us all, but that was the best bread I've ever had in my life. That fish was deep fried perfectly. They began to seek God, not because, seek Jesus, not because of who he was, but because of what he could do. And Jesus tells them just that. Notice he he doesn't say, don't seek me. He doesn't say, don't come after me. He doesn't tell them, you guys need to leave me alone. He said, no, you're seeking after me because of what I did. You see, they digress in 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 the reason why they're seeking. We go back to verse 2 and it says, the large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Signs and wonders, the things that Jesus was doing, the miracles that he was working caught his attention. And so they sought after him to learn from him, to gain insight and understanding from him. And then Jesus Christ blesses them in an amazing way. And then moving forward, they begin to digress in what they were seeking. Rather than seeking Jesus for more of Jesus, they were seeking Jesus for more blessing and material gain. You see, God performs many miracles and blessings in the Bible. You can read the, the, the Bible cover to cover, and you probably wouldn't be able to keep count of all the miracles that God does. And he's still doing miracles today. Like I said, we just saw one just last night. So unless he quit in the last 12 hours, uh, longer than 12 hours, he's still doing them today. In fact, uh, we, Eddie and I were having a conversation yesterday, just the very fact that our heart beating is a blessing and a miracle from God because we'd have no control over our heart. Anybody here can make their heart stop or go on command? No, it's not, it's not even your choice. It just goes. Dun, 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 dun. Every heartbeat is a gift from God. God performs many miracles, and he wants to perform miracles, but if we seek God only for what he can do for us, We're no better than this crowd. Are we seeking Christ for for materialistic and or physical blessing? Or spiritual blessing and eternal value? You see the material things, they fade and they go away. But spiritual things are eternal. Verse 27, Jesus tells them, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is telling them the bread, the fish, materialistic things, it'll all rot. It'll all go away. It'll all be gone someday. But I have substance for you of eternal value. I have something that will last through this life and all the way through the next one. And see, now Jesus has got their attention. Now Jesus says, I have bread that will feed you for all of eternity. And they're thinking, well, okay, that sounds good. 
Verses 28 and 29, they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus says, do the works of God and you will have this bread. And then Jesus answers them and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Simple enough, right? But if we dig a little deeper into this verse, we look at this word to believe. And it's from the Greek word pistuo, which means to have faith in and put trust in something. It's one thing to believe that sitting in the chair you're going to sit in is going to hold you up. It's another thing to actually sit in it. Right? If I go home and I make a, 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 a chair for you, out of balsa wood and I put it together with rubber bands and wood glue and I give it to you and I say here's a chair for you to sit in and you go that's a great chair I believe that it's a great chair it's a nice chair L look at yeah you worked real hard on that <laughs> and then I tell you sit in it and you're like no thanks I'll just take it I'll take it with I'll sit in it at home you believe that that chair is there you see it right in front of you, but you have no belief that it will hold you up. And so you will not put your trust into it. You see, this word belief is more than just acknowledging the existence of something. It's putting your trust into something. And when you put your trust into Jesus Christ, you follow his instruction. You do what he says is best for you. You see, it's more than just saying, oh yeah, God is real. There's plenty of people who do that. The Bible says that the demons believe that he is real and they tremble. But guess what their fate is? You already know. We must believe in Christ and put our trust in him, which means following his commands. Jesus is saying God desires for you to have faith and entrust your life with him. Don't just trust him for gain, but trust him for everything. Don't just trust him for the blessings, but trust him in the trials. And then it goes on, verses 30 through 31. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> Think about how audacious this is. Like, okay, prove it. Show us something. Like literally 24 hours ago, the day before, he showed them something. Jesus says that you need to trust in me, the one whom God sent. And they said, show us why we should trust you. They challenge him to prove who he is before they entrust him to him. Just one day after, he miraculously fed that same crowd with five loaves of bread and two fish. How crazy is that? They're trying to coerce Jesus into blessing them again. That's really all it was. Because they had the proof. They saw it the day before. They started following the man because of the things they saw him doing before that. As we read in verse 2, they began to see the signs and wonders that he was performing, which is why they sought after him to begin with. They've seen him do things, and now they're saying, do it again. Perform for us. And then they go on to say, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> bread from heaven to eat. 
They just wanted more food. They wanted some free, you know, fried fish sandwiches. Bread and fish, and make a sandwich. They were trying to coerce Jesus into giving them another meal. And it's easy to look at these people and read this text and think, these people are lost their mind. They're crazy. Like, they, do they not hear the words that he's saying? But the question is, can we become like this? Can this become us? Have we seen God do miracles, provision in our lives, in lives around us, that we've witnessed the power of God move in our circumstances and then continue on in our lives to try to pressure Him into proving Himself to us? Like, you, God's done amazing things in your life and then here you are today. God, if you're real, bless me in this way. What do you mean if I'm real? I showed you I was real. I've been showing you I'm real. You know I'm real. But God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. He's been proving yourself to him. Himself to you. We say, but people say stuff like this all the time when they've seen the power of God in their lives and around their lives. They say stuff like this all the time. God, if you're real, bless me in this area. God, if you're real, help me in this God, if you're real, provide for me. How about we change that around and say, God, because I know you're real, I have trust in you. Because I know you're real, you will give me what is best for me, even if I don't think so. Because we've seen God move before. We've seen God change our circumstances. He has nothing to prove to us. But do we believe that we can deceive God with a lack of faith in him to trick him into proving himself time and time again. God, my faith is, I need strengthened. Work a miracle for me. <laughs> like, people, we get that way sometimes, right? We go, th- listen, we all go through, I'm, I'm not, I'm calling every single one of us out, myself included. We go through times where we just need some answers and we're like, let's see, how can I word this to God to make him help me the most? It shouldn't be that way, but we, we're, we're stinky humans. We just, we mess up. And that's what this crowd is doing. They're trying to trick God into giving them another free meal. Like, man, our grocery budget's tight. It sure would be great if we got another, chick, uh, another fish sandwich from, from Jesus. <laughs> you see, if we aren't careful, listen to this. If we aren't careful, we will make blessings from God be a condition of our relationship with him. You see, blessings from God are not the tree of our relationship with God, but blessings from God are a fruit of the tree that is our close and intimate and healthy relationship with Christ. I know that was kind of wordy, but did you all catch that? Blessings from God aren't the tree. It's the fruit on the tree. The tree is our relationship with Christ. And everybody knows if you've ever grown a fruit tree, you go through seasons where there's no fruit. And you go through seasons where you got more fruit than you know what to do with but you do your best to keep that tree alive and healthy. You water it, you prune it, you take care of it. If it's got a disease, you put whatever you you put on it from Home Depot. You maintain it because you know that a season of fruit will come. You see, when we get like this, and we all do, thank you, Jesus, for not giving up on us in our foolishness. (laughs) He would have given up on all of us a long time ago, mankind as a whole. 
You see, the text goes on, and Jesus continues to try to help them understand. He doesn't just say, man, you guys, <laughs> you do not get whatever. Just get lost, all right? I don't have time for this. I don't, uh, you, guys, you guys have lost your mind. Do you not hear the words I'm saying? No, but Jesus takes the time to try to help them understand the value of what he's saying. He tells them you need to feast on eternal bread. So the question is, are we desiring to feast on the eternal bread of God, or are we going to back out? Because when we make that decision, it's when things begin to get a little difficult, a little weird, a little hard sometimes. The text continues on, verses 31 through 33. Um, Rereading verse 31, actually, it says, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus responds to them, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, Jesus puts him in their place. Y'all, y'all put in Moses, Moses was a great dude, but y'all put him way too high. Moses didn't give you nothing. God worked that miracle. He reminds them where the real stuff comes from. Moses, at this point in time in history, was viewed at as like second to none. They borderline worshipped him in that culture. And he was an amazing guy. I mean, you read the stories of Moses throughout the, the first parts of the Bible, and he, God did some amazing things with his life. But Jesus tells him Moses didn't do any of that. God did it through Moses. For the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about a different bread. Bread from heaven or bread from 7-Eleven, it's all from God. Like God is trying to tell you, everything you got, I provided it for you. Whether it came from Moses, whether it came from the corner store, whether it came from heaven. God is your provider. But Jesus says you need the bread of God who comes down from heaven to give life. This word life, again, we're going to look at some more Greek. Hope you guys are feeling nerdy today. Is zoe in the Greek, and it means life is translated both of physical present and of spiritual, particularly future existence. So in other words, he's talking about your future spiritual life, eternity. This means that this bread doesn't just enhance the present physical life, but it gives us life spiritually for eternity. Verse 34, the crowd responds to Jesus and says, Sir, give us this bread always. This bre- okay, you got, okay, whatever this bread is, I don't care where it comes from. Heaven or 7-Eleven, I don't care. I want it. That sounds great. Eternal bread. They're thinking we can eat this and we'll never have to buy groceries again. Stocks in Walmart are going to plummet because of this bread. And then Jesus tells them point blank. Verses 35 through 37. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. They say, sir, give us this bread always. 
And he tells him, you're looking at it. I am the bread of life. This life is eternal life. This life he's offering you is, is life for eternity. Eternal bread. It doesn't rot. It doesn't go away. It doesn't fade. That's me. It doesn't get moldy. It doesn't get stale. That's me. Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. And then in verse 36, basically Jesus tells them, you've seen me, you've seen what I can do, but you still don't believe that I am who I say I am. I have to tell you point blank that I am who I say I am after showing you that I am who I say I am, and you still don't believe me. You still question my identity. And then verses 41 through 42, we continue. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said... Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're like, bro, we, we, we knew you when you were a kid. We know your parents. How can you say you came down from heaven? Think about this. They're questioning this after they saw him feed 5,000 men and their family with five loaves of bread and two fish. You know, people say he fed the 5,000. It was way more than 5,000. When, when they counted attendance at church, they counted the men. And that meant that they either at least had a spouse, possibly children, with them. There's a lot more than 5,000. They witnessed Christ move in powerful ways time and time again. And yet they're sitting here questioning his origin through Joseph and Mary. You see, the stubbornness of their flesh blinded them to the spiritual matter at hand. Listen to me. The devil will always tempt us to question spiritual matters with a fleshly mindset. To look at what God is doing spiritually through our natural minds. And when we do that, we will fail to see what God wants to do. We look at a story in John chapter 3 of Nicodemus coming to Christ. He struggled with this also. He wanted to learn from Christ, but some of the stuff he was teaching goes, it doesn't make no sense. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? We're, we're Christians in the New Testament. We know what born again means. We grew up, you know, we, we've heard it. You know, we don't think too much about it. But this is like the first time anybody said something like this. Right? Like, you got to think about the context. Like, we, oh yeah, born-again Christians. Yeah, it's a spiritual thing. You know, we get it. Nicodemus didn't get it. He never heard that before. And Jesus is like, you have to be born again. It's like, what? So Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I don't know if Nicodemus' mom was there, but I guarantee you if she was there, she's like, ain't no way. Because <laughs> she's not down with that. <laughs> You see, Nicodemus tried to understand this concept through a physical mindset. He heard the words of Jesus and process, processed it through his natural mind. But unlike these stubborn people that Jesus is encountering, Nicodemus desired to understand what Christ was talking about. And he sought understanding from Christ. And Jesus goes on to explain it more, and Nicodemus becomes a follower of Christ. 
But sometimes Jesus says, listen, for me to move in this area of my life, I want to touch you in this way. I want to move in this situation, but you got to, I need this from you. I need this type of obedience from you. I need you to take this step. And we go, but God, that makes about as much sense as me being going back into my mother's womb and being born again. Sometimes that's how God works. He wants you to do some stuff that makes no sense. But that's because we serve a supernatural God. When we give our tithes, when we have our 100% and we need 120% to pay our bills, and God says, but I still want 10%. And then somehow God makes the 90% work better than the 100% did, and you feel like you have 140%. Because God has a way of working things out in ways that don't make sense to us. So as we return to our text, Jesus doesn't shy away from the situation. You, you all you read, read the Gospels, and Jesus doesn't shy away from confrontation. <laughs> he's going to say what he's going to say. And so he confronts them in verse 43, and he tells them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Stop complaining. He says, I'm going to make this very clear to you. I'm going to double down on what I just said. I'm not backing away. I'm not backing down from what I said. I'm going to make you understand what I'm trying to say. Again, he doesn't lose patience with them. He, he, he continues to try to help them to understand. They, they begin to grumble again. And he doesn't go, man, you guys, fine, just go. All right, here's some bread for the road and don't come back. But he says in verses 47 through 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. And again, the crowd misses it. They don't get it. They don't understand. Verse 52, they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? I mean, they're like, this is getting weird. And they allow the devil to confine their fleshly mindset to not only misunderstand him, but begin to criticize him with their lack of understanding. Sometimes we think we're pretty smart. God, your plan doesn't make no sense. What are you thinking? I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't make that choice. God, your thinking, your plan doesn't make no sense. We begin to criticize his ideas. We look at the word of God that tells us how to live in a certain way and say, God, it doesn't work that way in 2023. It's a different day, a different age, different era. We begin to misunderstand him. And in our misunderstanding, we begin to criticize him because of our lack of understanding. They say, how can we eat his flesh? That's weird, right? They're, they're still confined to their natural. Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh. And they're like, no thanks, right? If anybody came up to you and said, here, take a bite of my arm, like you wouldn't do that. They're still thinking physically. And they need to learn how to look at that spiritually. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Take a closer look at this to gain understanding of what Jesus is saying. It says, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this text, it sounds wordy and complicated, but when you translate the meaning of things, it becomes very clear. It says, the Word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. So in the beginning was Jesus Christ. He's claiming the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ was there at the creation of the earth. He wasn't born in Bethlehem, and that was his beginning of existence. He always was, always has been, and always will be, because he is God. So in the beginning was the Word, The Word is Jesus. So if the bread of life is also Jesus' flesh, as he says in this text, and Jesus is the Word of God, then the Bible is the bread of life. The words of God is what sustains us spiritually. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word is the Word of God. This is the bread that sustains us. If I had to come up to somebody and give them one thing, that only one thing in the Christian walk that would give them eternal life, I'd give them a Bible. Because prayer is essential, going to church is essential, being faithful to God is essential, but this teaches it all to you. This is the bread of life. We feast on the Word of God, and it sustains our soul. So we look at this spiritually. We want to eat the flesh of Christ. It's by consuming the Bible. And I'm not talking about taking bites of your Bible. I'm talking about reading it. Just in case we're still thinking that way. Our spirit feasts on the Word of God and is nurtured for eternal life. Our spirit, starved by the flesh, without the Word of God, is starved and malnourished for eternity in hell. But Jesus challenges them. Make your choice. Eternal bread or temporary fills. See, they came to Him for another temporary fill. They came to Him for another physical blessing. And Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't come here to just feed you guys and then go away. I came here to make heaven your home. And Jesus tells them in verse 53, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you, eat, uh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Jesus is basically saying, you might not understand everything spiritual, but this eternal life, this is eternal life or this is eternal death. This isn't about filling your tummy today. This isn't about getting another fish sandwich. This is about when you die and go into eternity. Verse 56 through 58, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me as of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It's like at the end of it all, Jesus summarizes it all up one more time. Listen, I'm giving you guys, you guys got to get this. And this word abide, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This word abide in the English uh, dictionary is to accept 
or act in accordance with. So in other words, go along with the plans of God. Go along with the word of God to, to act in accordance with Jesus Christ and what he commands. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So in other words, he's saying, if you obey the word of God and you accept my sacrifice of blood for your sins, then you're abiding in me. Act in accordance with me. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and you find eternal life. And then in verses 60 through 64, it says, When many of his disciples, again, uh, it's important to note that Jesus actually had more than 12 disciples, but the 12 were like his main core. So this isn't talking about the 12 disciples. It says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Which he did do that later on. This is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He deals with the issue. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. He says, you guys are completely operating in your flesh right now. You're trying to understand what I'm saying by your flesh, by your minds, by your human mindset. He says, but the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He says, guys, this isn't about physical matter. This is about spiritual issues. So they sought Jesus because of his miracles. We read that in verse 2. They got fed miraculously, and then they seek Jesus again for, for material gain, verses 24 through 25. And this material gain became was all, was all that they desired from Christ. And Jesus tried to show them, listen, this is only a small part of what, listen, God loves to bless us physically. He loves to provide for his children in, in the physical realm. But Jesus tried to tell him, listen, this isn't why I came. This isn't the main reason why I'm here. He wanted them to see that his work on earth was not for momentary gain for their generation. But it was about eternity. A commitment to Christ for eternal life. I didn't come here just to feed you guys, to die and then, go, and then go away. I came here to feed you for eternity so that you could come to heaven with me. You see, his miracles are amazing. I love seeing God work miracles. I've seen them and I can't wait to see the next one. But his sacrifice for us is what brings eternal life. So the question is for us, like these people, is are we only seeking momentary gain and blessing from Jesus in our times of need? or desire or are we all in for him for eternity with Christ to abide in him completely no matter how much fruit is bearing on our tree the question is are we all in we look at verse 66 from our text after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him they refused to understand 
And I'm convinced that this is why so many people backslide and walk away from the faith. It's because they never really true, truly were fully committed. It says they no longer walked with him. They believed in Christ. They, they, they put their life in his hand, but they had their backup plans. They had their plan B. They, you know, this Jesus thing doesn't work out on the road. I can always go back to this or that or whatever. It says they no longer walked with him. And this was an easy decision for them because they had options. Other open doors, backup plans, fallback. You know, this one of the guys like, oh, I just dropped out of college to follow this guy, so I'll just go re-enroll and continue on with my life, move back in with mom and dad. Well, I got my engineering degree. It'll be easy to find another job if this Jesus thing doesn't work out. These people had backup plans. They had fallback options. They didn't view Jesus Christ as the one and only truly true choice. Verses 66 or 67 through 69, Jesus says to the 12, He says to them, Do you want to go away as well? Everybody else left, it's just us, 13 of us standing here. And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, when we are all in, when we are completely sold out to Christ, there is no plan B. We can speak like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is no other option. There is no other solution. He, t- he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And what he's thinking, what he's really saying is, God, we've, we've invested our heart and our soul. Every aspect of our lives revolves around you, and we have no other choice. We are sold out completely for your glory. And they did this because he truly believes what he says after he asks that. Lord, to whom shall we go? And then he makes a statement that he believed with his whole heart. It says, you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God. He's saying, we get it. Everything you just said, we get it. We grasp it. Jesus, everything you just said, we, we get it. It's not about filling our tummies today. It's about eternal life. It's about who you are. God sent you into our lives, not just to take care of us for a few short years for one generation, but for every generation so that they might feast on the eternal bread and have eternal life in heaven. Jesus, we get it. We have no other options. You are plan A through Z. There is no backup plan. Jesus, we get it. We're all in. So the question each and every Christian must answer is, are you all in? Which group will you be? Will you be like the crowd? Fall away when things get tough, hard to understand, difficult to process? Seeking Jesus only for momentary gain? Still holding our backup plans. You know, this church thing, Jesus thing doesn't work out. At least I know, you know, I got this, I got that, I got whatever. Ready to drop Jesus and go back to our plan B at any time. We got, we got plans in the wings. 
Or will we be like Peter and the other disciples? And we realize there can't be a backup plan. Every other plan leads to, leads to eternal death. Every other plan leads to eternity in hell. There can't be another backup plan. There is no returning to the old ways. It's all Jesus. It's all God's will. It's all in, all the way to eternity. Because they understood something that Jesus said. They understood something that Jesus was teaching. Difficult to understand. Difficult to grasp. And later on in the book, Jesus says in verse four, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, He says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus said it. Peter and the other faithful disciples believed it and committed their lives entirely to him. The question is, are we all in like they were all in? Do we believe when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me? There is no other way. There is no plan B. There is no other solution. And Jesus says, are you all in for me? Do you want to go away also? And are we going to look Jesus in the face and say, to whom shall we go? You alone have the answers for eternal life. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning.